This is the weekly Hi, message Mark, from Hope Church Montreal. We're so glad you can join us. Want to personally thank you this for downloading all part of our series, sermon cast from Hope and the purpose. We, we, we share these messages through the gospel of Luke, verse really by verse. Value their promise, their content, their promise. and uh, the anointing. Find out more about Hope Church and how to bring a fresh revelation of God's love to And if you're able to support the work of Hope Church and the cost of this message, will help you to see the good purpose that God has and help you to walk in faith and follow instructions. His promises every day. Every month through a Sunday morning, you will always receive a very warm welcome at Hope Church. And now, let's join today's message. Amen. Thank you, worship team. That's uh, brilliant. It's great to be in God's presence. And I mean, what a tumultuous week in British politics we've had, right? Mr. Left Hand doesn't know what Mrs. Right Hand is doing. Unless, of course, Mrs. Right Hand is making a rude gesture to the reporters. <laughs> but one of the things that was happening is that stuff was unfolding so quickly that people were literally finding out what was going on in the country, including those in government, because reporters were reading out what was being said on Twitter in real time, right? And that's not a great way. You should, people should know what's going on before they hear it on the radio. So... I should tell you what's going on before you hear it on the radio. Now, God has uh, blessed us here in Hope Church. In a, in, after two years of tumultuous up and down in society, you know, many churches have been struggling, but God has blessed us um, with the resources that we need to fulfill his mission. You know, at, at this stage, our bank balance is at the same level as, as it was a year ago. You know, and God has, God has provided. And for probably close to eight months, we've been uh, praying about a sense that God has uh, said to us that we need to bring someone onto the team, uh, a salary member of the team, to focus on children and families and on outreach into the local town, to connect with the local schools, to build on what we're doing with Good News Shoes. So starting on Monday, that post will be advertised on Premier Christian Radio in all the Christian magazines, all that kind of stuff. So when you hear Hope Church Malmesbury on the radio, that's us. So now you know what's going on. And if you know of someone in your network that you think they would make a great addition to the team here at Hope, someone's got a passion for children and families, especially kind of primary age in particular, I think, so that we can build something here that can draw people in who aren't currently going to church, reinforces connections that we have with the local schools. So we can see God's kingdom extended in this town. That's what this is all about. So that's what we're doing. You'll hear it on the radio for next week. If you listen to Premier, if you don't listen to Premier, you should try tuning in. It's amazing the number of times when just the song you need or just that little kind of five-minute prayer. Most, most radio stations, on the hour, every hour, they fill you with doom and gloom of the news headlines. Premier, on the hour, every hour, they pray. And they say, oh, by the way, this is what's going on in the world. Get the, get the perspective right. Anyway, so that's what's going on uh, in Hope Church over the next couple of weeks. We're excited to see what God is going to do through that. But now let me introduce Sue, who's going to come and share the word with us this morning. Father God, I thank you for Sue and for the um, gift you've given her, Lord God, as a teacher to be able to unpack your word. And Father, I pray this morning that our hearts are humble, our ears are open, our minds are teachable. In Jesus' name, amen.
Good morning, everyone. Good morning to everyone at home. If you're not in the room, you're still very welcome, and I hope this, really, this message speaks to you. I've been chewing it over all week. It's been a bit of a, bit of a one this week. I've had a long time preparing this and going back and forth, because it's you know, been quite an interesting message. Well, as you, as you are aware, um, oh, I was supposed to do the announcements, wasn't I, Mark? I'm sorry. Shall I do it at the end now? Oh, okay. I'll do it now, actually, because I think at the end, God's got something else for us to do. Um, Sorry, I'm going back. uh, Wind the tape back. Um, And Dave and I would like to invite you all to a barbecue next Friday. That's what it amounts to. The weather looks glorious, and um, it would just be nice to just chill out all together and just play a bit of table tennis and muck about in the garden and eat burgers, okay? So if you can make it next Friday, we're just going to sling things on the barbie from about six o'clock. Um, you don't have to come at six if that doesn't work for you, if you've only just got in from work and you need an hour and a shower. You know, just come when you can. We'll be just cooking all evening on and off and just fellowshipping and chilling out with each other. So if you want any more information about how to find us, how to get there, just see us after the service and we'll sort it out. But it would be really great if you could come. Okay, back to the message. As you know, we're in um, Luke 11, and uh, we've been going through Luke 11, and I've got verses 33 to 36 to um, do this morning, and they're really quite an interesting set of verses. They look really straightforward to start with, and then when you start drilling in, it actually gets quite interesting. So I'm just going to read them together um, for you, and then start um, start looking at them more closely. So Jesus says this, No one, after lighting a lamp, puts it in a cellar or under a basket, but on a stand so that those who enter may see the light. Your eye is the lamp of your body. When your eye is sound, single or simple, your whole body is full of light. But when your eye is evil, your body is full of darkness. Therefore, be careful lest the light in you be darkness. If then your whole body is full of light, having no part dark, it will be wholly bright as when a lamp with its rays gives you light. Okay, now those verses seem to sort of almost, it seemed to me, having listened to Mark's excellent sermon last week on Jonah and the Ninevites and Jesus being a sign that was greater than Jonah, I was thinking to myself, why is Jesus suddenly going on about being a light? And I think what Jesus was doing here is he was trying to say, particularly in this first verse, verse, verse 33, that he is the ultimate light. The Jews were pestering Jesus constantly for sign after sign after sign that he was the Messiah. And here he is saying, I am the biggest sign you're going to see. I am the light that is shining out to you in the darkness. So... I think it's all about signs, this, this, this um, section, and it links back into the previous section in that way. Um, you know, the interesting thing is that the, the Jewish believers, the Jewish people, and the Pharisees and the Sadducees, they saw so many signs, but they didn't believe that Jesus was who he said he was. They didn't believe in him. And so it's more than just seeing And I think that's where the root of this message is. It's more than just seeing things. There has to be something going on in our hearts that enables us to receive the information through our eyes. And that's what I'm going to unpack a little bit further. So let's go back to verse 33. Jesus said, No one, after lighting a lamp, puts it in a cellar or under a basket, 
but on a stand so that those who enter may see the light. Well, that's a sort of obvious statement, really, isn't it? If you turn the light on, you don't then want to cover it up. And Jesus didn't cover himself up. He went into every corner of the, of the kingdom, every corner of the realm, and he mixed with every kind of person. He was having dinner with a tax collector one night, and then he'd be talking to the Pharisees in the temple the next day. He mixed with the really ordinary people and with the social outcasts. And what he was doing was, he was showing them exactly what God is like. You know, in John 14, Philip said to him, you know, just before the crucifixion, he said, um, Jesus, could you just show me what, what God is like? Could you just show us what the Father is like? And Jesus looks at him quite amazed, probably, and said, Philip, haven't, haven't you sort of got it yet? If you've seen me, you've seen the Father. He's saying, you know, Jesus was walking around the greatest sign there is to show people what God is like. You know, in, in 1 John 1, it tells us that God is light. Again, the light theme in him is no darkness at all, no darkness at all. And we're going to be looking later at what darkness is. And Jesus makes this ultimate statement in John chapter 8. He says, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. And this amazing statement, which we're all probably really, really familiar with. You know, sometimes when you've read something so many times, it can go off the top of your head, can't it? But this week, I really sort of thought about this. And I thought, this is such an amazing statement. It's quite, it's a unique claim. It's uncompromising. Jesus is broadening the scope of his light, the, the sign that he is. He's saying, I'm the light of the world. He's for everybody. And he says here, if you follow me, you will not walk in darkness. Now, that is really strong in the Greek. It says it's impossible. The word is, it is impossible to walk in darkness if you're following Jesus. I mean, you know, no one has been able to claim that, have they? Jesus is this unique expression of God in the flesh. And he's saying, if you follow me today, it's impossible for you to walk in darkness. How wonderful. And he goes on to say, you will have the light of life. Light brings life into our, into our, um, into our lives. And I just want to sort of detour in a minute and just think a little bit about darkness. And I used my um, Spirit-Filled Life Bible to give me a definition. You know, they have these little bits in the text that help you unpack words. And this word darkness means to cover. And isn't that just what the enemy likes to do? He likes to cover things up. And the Bi this Bible um, commentary was explaining that it can be physical darkness that covers things up, or it can be spiritual darkness, moral or even intellectual darkness. This darkness in people's lives can come from error, they, they don't understand the truth, come from ignorance, they've never heard the message, just sheer disobedience, willful blindness and rebellion. And it describes darkness as an evil system totally opposed to the light. That's what Jesus was up against. And of course, we know who is behind this system. You know, the Bible uses the imagery of light and dark frequently. It talks about the kingdom of light, which is God's kingdom, where God's goodness and love reign. And then the kingdom of darkness, which came in because of man's rebellion and man's sin and enabled 
you know, the prince of this world, he's called Satan, to rule in a limited way at the moment in this kingdom of darkness. And I've said it from this um, pulpit before that if you're not in the kingdom of light, there's no middle ground, you're in the kingdom of darkness, which is, you know, a stark but, um, you know, salutary thing to think about today. Which kingdom are you in? But the good news is, is that um, Jesus has come to bring us light. And it comes out again in John's Gospel, right at the very beginning of John's Gospel. I'm just going to read you a very short bit here. In the beginning was the Word, the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him, and without him was not anything made which was made. In him was life, and the life was the light of men, the connection between life and life, light and life again. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. It's wonderful. I looked at that word this morning, overcome, as I was preparing the last few bits, and it literally means to take it down. You know, that's a modern, modern idiom, isn't it? But the Greek actually means to take it down. And the darkness has not taken Jesus down. Hallelujah! It's not taken our Jesus down. And in fact, as he walked around the planet, well, he walked around Israel, you know, we have this testimony from Peter when he was trying to explain to Cornelius' household just what was going on when Jesus was doing his thing. And he said that God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Ghost, with power, who went about doing good and healing all who were oppressed of the devil because God was with him. <clears throat> Excuse me. And then we, hear in, we read in Hebrews that Jesus did the ultimate thing. He gave his life for us. But then it goes on to say in chapter 2 that through death, he conquered him that had the power of death, the devil, and delivered all those who through fear of death were all their lifetimes subject to bondage. So the first half of my talk <laughs> is if you are oppressed today, perhaps you've had a negative doctor's report this week, perhaps you're addicted to something that you just can't break, a habit or something that is just too strong in your life, well, Jesus has conquered all of these things, all of these manifestations of the kingdom of darkness. He said, I've come that you might have life and have it abundantly. A superabundant life, that word means in the text. So if you want that life in you today, I just invite you to just exchange your broken life for his life and let his light and life shine in you. I've got a little prayer here that I'm going to put up. I know it's the middle of the sermon, but this is like the end of part one, if you see, and it just fits perfectly to do this now. If you want to invite Jesus into your life, if you want to in invite life into your life so that the darkness will flee, just like when you flick a light switch on, the darkness goes, then I just invite you to just pray this with me. Lord Jesus, your word tells me that your life and your light shines in the darkness of this world and has overcome all of its power. I give my broken life to you. Come into my life today. Set me free from all the things that oppress me. And if you want to lift up something at this point in time in your mind, what's the thing that's oppressing you and weighing on your heart? Just lift it to Jesus. Be my Lord and my Saviour and let your resurrection life reign in me. Amen. Okay.
So I'm going to move on now to the other verses because the focus changes in the second half of, of this passage this morning. The first half, I think, was about Jesus being the light that is uncovered, shining as a great sign to us down the whole of history. But the second half, Jesus opens up with your eye. Your eye. He's talking now to us. Your eye is the lamp of your body. <clears throat> when your eye is sound, your whole body is full of light. When your eye is bad or evil, your body is full of darkness. Therefore, be careful lest the light that is in you be darkness. Now, I was really interested to hear this because, read this, because Jesus is talking about our eyes. He's not talking about our mouths and what we say, though obviously that's really important. He's not talking about our hands and our body, what we do for him, where we walk for him. He's talking and focusing that our lamp is dependent, the brightness of our lamp is dependent on our eyes. And, you know, it's a challenge to us, <clears throat> what are we looking at? <laughs> what are we filling our eyes with in a typical day? I'll just leave that hanging. The Jews, as we've read already, they just, they just couldn't get enough signs. They just, there was never enough signs there. They just couldn't find Jesus. And I just want to contrast, as I explore this passage, their reaction to that of Nathaniel in the start of John's gospel, because he didn't have many signs to follow, but his reaction to Jesus was totally different. Let's just look at it together. In um, John 1, verse 45, Philip found Nathanael and said to him, oh, we found the one Moses in the law, and the prophets wrote about Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. And Nathanael said, can anything good come out of Nazareth? Philip said, you know, come and see, come and see. Jesus saw Nathanael coming towards him and said, behold, an Israelite in whom there is no deceit. And Nathanael said to him, how do you know me? And Jesus said, oh, before Philip called you, I saw you sitting under the fig tree. And Nathanael said, Rabbi, you're the son of God. You're the king of Israel. What an amazing reaction. He didn't see anybody raised from the dead. He didn't see any blind eyes open. He didn't see any of the amazing miracles that Jesus had done in front of all the other crowds. And yet, because Jesus said, I saw you under the fig tree, Nathanael goes, you are the Messiah. You're the King of Israel, the Son of God. How amazing is that? And I think the key to this is, it's all to do with our hearts. And I think our eyes in this text is like um, a metaphor for what's going on in our hearts. It's the eyes of our soul that Jesus is talking about. Because he commends Nathaniel and says, in him is a man with no deceit. And deceit is something that goes on in the heart, isn't it? It's where you know, you, you, you're trying to deceive or you, you're, you're muddled up about something. Just like the Pharisees were all muddled up about who Jesus was. Nathaniel, it was all sort of quite straightforward for Nathaniel. He didn't have to really think about it. His heart was pure. And that really is one of the themes that I want to take forward. But before I do, I just want to just quickly dip into Matthew 13, because Jesus had a lot to say about the religious people and why they couldn't perceive him. He said, the hearts of this people has grown dull, calloused, hardened over. 
Their ears are hard of hearing, their eyes they have closed, lest they should see with their eyes, hear with their ears, lest they should understand with their hearts and turn so that I could hear them. You know, they'd seen the most amazing miracles, hadn't they? They'd seen a meager young boy's lunch multiply to feed thousands. They'd seen people raised from the dead. They'd seen all these wonderful things, and yet their hearts were somehow closed over. And, you know, my prayer for myself and for all of us here this week has been, Lord, protect us from this calloused heart because we can be in the Lord's presence and we just don't get it. It goes over our heads. Our hearts are just so, so key. Nathaniel's heart was one in whom there was no deceit. And in the Beatitudes, Jesus talks about that. He says, blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. <clears throat> this is a scripture, I think, to meditate on just one to chew over next week with your coffee, mid-morning coffee break and your biscuit or whatever. Just take some time to chew over that. The word pure can mean clean or clear in heart. It's an, it's an uncluttered heart. And I was meditating on it last week and it reminded me of the parable of the sower and the different kind of soils. If you remember, the seed is the word of God and it goes into different soils and the soils are the heart, it says in one of the texts. So our heart determines our crop. You know, one heart cluttered with stones might have a little bit growing to start with, but it can't bear fruit because the stones keep stopping it, keep stopping it giving root and getting the moisture and the nourishment it needs. Then we've got the heart that's cluttered with all the things of life and all the word is choked and the heart prevents the word bearing fruit. Real sobering one, that one, I find for myself. And then we've got the good soil, which has been thoroughly weeded. If any of you are gardeners out there, it's a never-ending job, isn't it? And somehow, where do stones come from? They seem to, you clear the top of the stones, and then six months later you go back, and there's stones all over the soil. And you think, where have they come from? Do they get drop out of the sky? Quite a, quite, um, quite a mystery. But yeah, somehow, you know, we've got to weed our hearts. And I just think I'll, I'll leave that one with you. So coming back to our text, let's link all this in now. Verse 34, your eye is the lamp of your body. When your eye is sound, single or simple, your whole body is full of light. When it is bad, evil, your body is full of darkness. Be careful lest the light in you is darkness. I want to focus in on this key that Jesus gives us here, if we think about it, it's talking about our hearts. When your eye is sound, this word is a difficult word, this one. It can mean single or simple. It only occurs in one other place in the New Testament. So I think translators have struggled to represent it correctly. Some translations have the idea of good, which is a bit vague. It's, the other place is Matthew 6.22, if you want to look it up later. But the the concordance said, the Greek concordance said, that the idea is of something folded together into a single unit. Perhaps like a fan. You know, you open up a fan, don't you? But you can fold it together into like one closed single unit. And that's the idea behind this. So something else to meditate on, I think. But 
what I got out of it is the idea that even though our lives might be busy, we have to sort of focus in on one thing. And our, our, you know, our hearts and our minds, our eyes, need to remain pure and uncontaminated. And I, I thought, Lord, where am I going to go with this? How can I give people help and clues as to what we've got to focus in on? So I popped into my concordance um, one thing, <laughs> which I know might be a strange thing to do, but I just it was a good idea at the time. Um, as you can imagine, in the whole of the Bible, there are a lot of one things, um, but I narrowed it down to three, which I'm going to close with. So these are the three one things that I offer you as possibly the single, sound, simple thing that we need to keep our eyes fixed on in order to be full of light. The first one comes from Philippians 3. Paul's in prison, and this is his heart cry. It's taken um, a little bit. I haven't done the whole passage because it's quite long. Paul is saying that I may know him and the power of his resurrection, that I may share in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death. And then it goes on. But one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead, I press on towards the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. So the first bit of this is his desire to know Jesus. And this know, this word know, is an emphasis of the usual word know. It means to know absolutely. And as Christians, this is our goal in life, isn't it? To, to get to know Jesus better and better each day. But he goes on with this one thing, and I think it's quite an important one thing. He says, I forget what lies behind. And He's not, even, he's not thinking about the past, his life as a Pharisee and all of the rule-keeping he kept. In fact, earlier in this passage, he calls it, it's just like dung, it's just useless stuff. And I think a lot of us can have our future with Jesus hampered by our past. It's almost like we've got, we're in treacle, trying to walk forward, but we keep getting stuck and dragged back by events, um, things that have happened in our lives that are still pulling us. They've still got control over us. Well, Paul decided that he was going to forget. That's a very powerful word. I'm going to forget what lied behind. And instead, um, he wasn't even thinking about the present, interestingly. He's in prison. It can't have been pleasant. He's straining forward to what lies ahead. He's pressing on towards the goal, the prize of the high calling in of God in Christ Jesus. And I, I thought immediately of a runner. I expect you're thinking of a runner too. You know, where they, they're not looking who's running near them. They're not worried about anybody else. It's, and their whole body gets pressed into like a chevron as they reach for the tape. And I think that's the exhortation. One of our one things, um, friends and folks, has got to be that we are very heavenly minded. That the present world... The, the, the sort of, it's great here. We know that, don't we? There's lots of lovely things here, but we've, it's like uh, Mark said, perspective. He used that word just before the sermon, talking about perspective. And, you know, we need to have perspective. We need to be looking heavenward. Second thing comes from David, the psalmist. Psalm 27, his one thing. 
One thing I've desired of the Lord, that will I seek, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life to behold the beauty of the Lord and to inquire in his temple. Well, there's a lot there, isn't there? So this is David's one thing. And he's seeking after it, that he can dwell. And that word dwell means to literally, you know, camp down and stay. It's your house. It's where you live. It's where you abide. It's where you constantly resort to. It's your place. And that's where he wants to dwell, in the house of the Lord. That's in the presence of God, all the days of his life. And that, for me, was the challenge that no matter how busy lives might be during the day, we've all got stuff to do, that we have this abiding sense of being in his presence, that we're doing stuff he knows we would, he would want us to do, right? A bit of obedience would come in here, wouldn't it? To shun things that are going to draw you away from God, to focus in on dwelling in his house, and then to go on to behold the beauty of the Lord. How many times do we sit down and just think about God and how amazing he is? and to inquire in his temple. That's lovely, isn't it? We can ask him questions. We can have a conversation and wait for him to answer. So that's David's one thing. Last one now. We've had this one already, but I just couldn't miss it out. So apologies to Criddy. Thank you for your wonderful sermon, Criddy, on Mary and Martha um, a few weeks ago. But this one is a really good one thing. Remember, Martha was entertaining Jesus, cooking and doing all the stuff. And Mary was just sitting at his feet. And Martha got really angry. And Jesus said, one thing is necessary. Mary has chosen the good portion and it will not be taken away from her. Mary couldn't normally be taught by a rabbi. She was a woman in that society. You couldn't sit at the rabbi's feet. So Mary snatched this wondrous opportunity to sit at Jesus' feet and learn from him. And I was thinking about us and how this might relate to us. And I was thinking, we've got Jesus, the word, haven't we? Either on our phones or in our multitude of Bible translations we've got on our bookshelves. We've got Jesus every day in our room too. And we can sit at his feet with his word open before us. And Psalm 119 says, the entrance or the disclosure, the opening up of your word gives life. It gives understanding to the simple. Yep, like us, the open-minded, the word can mean. If you're open-minded and you read the word of God and you ask God to speak to you, he will. So to sum up, I don't know how I'm doing with time. I might be running over a little bit. Apologies if I am. So how are we to be shining lights? Three things. The three one things I think we've got to make our eyes single on. Eternal perspective. This isn't all there is. You know, all of this is going to just, well, most of it is going to get burnt up. The Bible says the, the world is going to get burnt up. So all of your possessions and all the things you like and that, they're great in their place, but it's just not the real deal. Okay, the real deal is up there and we need to keep our eyes up there. And then relationship. We need to pursue Jesus. Um, just resting in him, spending time with him, worshipping him, chilling with Jesus, talking to him, carving out time in our busy day, and then give the word a high priority in our lives. 
because that's where he's going to talk to us. You know, I don't want to put anybody down here today because I'm talking to myself as much as anybody, but Smith Wigglesworth is an interesting character from the last century. He was a totally uneducated man, a plumber from Bradford. He couldn't read. God taught him to read. And so from that moment on, he only read the Bible and he wouldn't even allow a newspaper in his house. When people came to him for prayer or whatever, if they had a newspaper in their pocket, he said, you have to leave that outside the door. He was that um, reclused from the world. I mean, he was a plumber. He was out doing his thing, but he kept himself separate in certain aspects. And as we know, this, is, this might sound extreme to you. It does sound extreme, doesn't it? But he did extreme things. <laughs> he raised many people from the dead. <laughs> he, loads of people were healed. Tumors fell off people. He was a character of characters. If you read any of his um, testimonies, he, he must have been quite a difficult person because he was uncompromising about God. And I just feel that, you know, and again, I am really not getting at anybody here. I'm not getting at anybody. I'm just exhorting us. That's what I'm doing. I felt God say to me today, well, I'm exhorting, I'm pulling us up to something higher and better, pulling myself up. The devil wants to use, folks, every tactic in the book to get our attention off Jesus, get our attention off fellowshipping with him and fellowshipping with each other, of reading our Bibles. And it's, this is, I think this message of singleness, of being lights in the darkness, this singleness of mind and purpose just can speak to each one of us. And we can find something that we can draw upon to just encourage us this week. And I, I hope you find it so. Remember, there is no condemnation for us in Christ Jesus. God is not sending a condemning message. He's sending a, uh, an encouraging message to build us up. And when we do that, then our whole body, it says, it's possible for our whole bodies to be full of light, having no part dark. It will be wholly bright as when a lamp with its rays gives you light. You know, when this happens, the light is going to come out of us like a laser beam, and we are going to shine in this dark world. Thank you, Lord God. Father, I just want to pray for us and for those online. Um, Lord, help our hearts to remain soft in you, Lord Jesus. Just soften our hearts today with this message, and just help us all to just put the, the complicated things of our 21st century lifestyle into your eternal perspective. Help us to spend time with you, fellowshipping with you, loving you, adoring you, and help us to prioritize your word in our lives. And may the entrance of your word bring light to us. Amen. <laughs>